Alrighty, you got your Bible? If you got your Bible and you're at Mark 10, say amen. Amen. We're continuing our series, Life in Order. Everybody say Life in Order. Life in Order. We have taken the majority of the summer months to walk through this series called Life in Order, where we're trying to reorder our lives around, not the culture, but reorder our lives around Christ, and to try to make sure that our, the patterns of our lives and the practices of our lives look more like Jesus than our culture. And so this is actually my last sermon in Life in Order, and then Pastor Chris is going to be landing the plane next Sunday in our series, and then in two Sundays from today, we're going to be diving into a brand new series. I'm not going to spoil it for you yet, but be back in two weeks. Our college students will be back. It'll be cra crazy. It'll be chaos. Uh, we're starting a brand new series in two Sundays for uh, today. Today, the title of my sermon is, is this, Purpose Over Possessions. Purpose over possessions, and each week we've been looking at something that is true, something that is real about our culture and our cultural moment that we find ourselves in, and then we're looking at the kingdom of God and overlaying our culture with something that is more significant than what we find in our culture today. The title is Purpose Over Possessions. Let me ask you a question as we begin. Are you living for purpose or possessions? What are you, I'm not asking your neighbor, I'm asking you, what are you living for today? Think about your life, think about your life, think about the things that are in your life, think about the things that keep you up at night, think about the things that you're working for, the things that you're striving for, the things that you're just hoping to have, hoping to get. The reality of our culture is that our culture has been inoculated with this idea of you need possessions and more possessions and more possessions and more possessions in order to be happy. What Jesus does is Jesus actually paves for us a new way in this fantastic story in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17, it says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up. He's got some eagerness about him. And he knelt, drops down to his knees. He's, he's eager. He's, he's, he's kind of desperate. He's looking. He's hoping. He needs something from Jesus. He runs up and he knelt down before him and asked him. He gets a moment with Jesus. If you had a moment with Jesus, what would be one question that you would ask him? He gets one moment with Jesus and then he looks at Jesus in the eyes and he asks him this question and he says, Good teacher, or also could be translated good rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this, the context of this episode of the story is from the first century during the life of Jesus Christ, an actual story, a real story where Jesus in the, is in the middle of his ministry of preaching and teaching the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God, explaining to people what it means to know the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is here and how you can enter the kingdom of God and you can live in the kingdom of God. Signs and wonders are happening everywhere. People's lives are being changed. People are being healed. Literally, evil spirits are being cast out of people. It is unbelievable what is happening. And here in the middle of this ministry, in the middle of Jesus' life and ministry, right here in this moment, this guy walks up to Jesus, runs up to Jesus, rather, kneels down before him and asks him this question. This is the famous story that many refer to as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. I find it interesting that he asked Jesus this particular question regarding how to gain or earn or receive eternal life. Eternal life in Eastern 
mindset, in biblical mindset, it's a little bit different than what we think. Eternal life isn't just something that happens a long time away from now, but eternal life is a life that is in accordance with a different age. A kind of life and a kind of living and a kind of reality that is in sync with an age, not of this current age, but of a different age. And this man, this rich young ruler, wants to ask Jesus this question. I find it interesting. He asks him this question. It's interesting that he needs something from Jesus. This guy, as we will see a little bit later, he has everything. He's got everything. He's got the, he's got the house. He's got the houses. He's got the businesses that are happening. He's got the real estate. He's got everything that he could possibly need. And he asks Jesus this question. He's got everything, but yet he feels something is missing. I'll say it this way to tee us off this morning. You can have everything and still lack something. The world will tell you that once you get to a certain kind of lifestyle, once you get to a certain pay grade, once you get a certain promotion, once you get into a certain gated neighborhood, that then your wildest dreams will come true. If you could just get there, if you can just make it, if you could just finally live good enough, make good enough decisions, make good enough investment decisions, make good financial decisions, make good career decisions, then one day you will finally get there and you will have everything that you need. But this guy says it's not, it's not how it works. He's got it all. He's got it all, yet somehow he feels he lacks everything. Reminds me of a story I was reading a couple years ago in an article um, where a writer, Chris Palmer, got to interview the NBA star Lamar Odom. The interview was back in 2015, and he paints the picture of being able to sit down in a restaurant with Lamar Odom and ask him question about, questions about his life and his situation. And in the article, it's, he says this. He says, uh, Lamar stares at his phone. A text comes in from Chloe. He replies and then apologizes, tucks his phone away. We order another round. Where do you call home now? I ask, my heart, he says, wherever my heart is, I can have peace of mind. Life can seem nomadic because I don't know if I'm embracing it or running from it, Lamar says. I can go anywhere, but I don't know where I want to be. And then he says, I'm searching. I'm searching, but I don't know for what. I can't see what I'm looking for. It's, it's just like I reach out and hope I grab something, but I don't know it will what it will be because I don't know what I'm searching for. The writer asks, happiness? He replies, more than that, but that would be real nice. Over and over and over again, we see people in our culture that make it to the top, people in our culture that, that make it and that have everything yet still lack something. Can I, can I encourage you today that um, sometimes you might get what you're looking for, but it's not what you're looking for. You can spend your entire life pursuing the wrong thing, the thing that won't satisfy, the thing that won't meet you where you are, the thing that won't fill you up, the thing that won't help you out. You can have everything and still lack something. Jesus responds to him in verse 18. This is so dramatic. It's so awesome. He says this in verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Everybody's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. No one is good except God alone. Verse 19, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. 
do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Remember, he asked the question, how can I have eternal life? He says, honor your father and mother, verse 20. And the man, the young man, he responds to him. He said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Check. Check. These are actually, I had to go back into my mind, Exodus chapter 20. These are part of the Big Ten. I had to go back. These are actually numbers 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 that Jesus references to this man. Jesus replies to his question. He wants to know how, he, how to have eternal life. And Jesus um, responds with a little bit of a setup. You ever recognize in the Bible that Jesus often will set you up? That's not the question that I asked, Jesus. That's not the conversation that I wanted to have. Do you know that Jesus actually has the real conversation that you need to have rather than a different conversation that you want to have? You come to Jesus with your own stuff and your own questions, and Jesus says, I actually have a better question for you. Jesus has a more important question. Jesus replies with a little bit of a setup, and he uh, needs to give this man a little bit of a clarification on goodness. This guy calls Jesus, good teacher. Clearly, um, we see that this man identifies with Jesus and uses the language. Essentially, he sees himself as good. He recognizes with Jesus, wants to have a little commonality with Jesus, and says, good teacher. This man has built his life and built his identity on himself he thinks of himself as good as well but jesus clarifies that only god is good at this moment in the conversation the man begins to scratch his head you know one of the greatest lies of our culture is this idea that i'm a good person one of the greatest lies that you can ever believe in culture is that you are a good person this idea i'm a pretty good person i mean i'm not I'm not a terrorist. I'm not shooting people in the streets. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. You ever feel yourself like you just want to pat yourself on the back? I'm a pretty good person. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my wife. I'm a, I'm a, pretty, good, I'm a pretty good person. We, even if we mess up, even if we make mistakes, at the end of the day, we get back to a point where we convince ourselves, I'm actually a good person. Jesus is intentionally dismantling this man's idea of goodness. It's a setup. It's a setup because Jesus wants this man to come to this certain realization on his own. So what does Jesus do? Jesus lists off a few commandments. He lists a few that are a little bit, that are kind of um, easy to identify. They're specific. They're, they're tangible. Jesus lists off a few of these. He says, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the, the man responds in the affirmative, yep, I'm good. I'm good there. I got those, Jesus. I am good to go. I imagine many of us would respond in the affirmative as well. This man doesn't think that he is needy. He's a good guy. This, entire, this guy's entire life has been designed to follow the law. This guy isn't a lawbreaker. He is a law keeper. This guy's entire life has been a checklist. Just tell this guy what to do and he can make it happen. There's nothing he can't achieve. This guy is the essence of a good church kid. He's not the prodigal son that ran away. He was the elder son that stayed home. He's a law-abiding Jew. He's moral and upright. And then this is what makes it even more complicated. Not only is he moral and upright, he is loaded. I mean, he is loaded, as we will see later at the end of the passage. He has done incredibly well in business, probably even written a couple books on leadership. He's had a few companies. 
He's got some real estate things that are happening on the side. I mean, he's got good moral sense, but he's not only got good moral sense, he's got good business sense. He is super loaded. He is affluent. He is blessed. He is prestigious. He's got a condo on the river with a boat slip. He's got courtside seats. He's got a second home in the Virgin Islands. I mean, he has got it all. I mean, he's just loaded in every, every kind of way. And at this moment, this man is feeling pretty good. He's like, yep, check, 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 check. I'm good, Jesus. And then Jesus, this is so fantastic. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, that phrase in the Greek, looking at him, means looking intently at him. It's, it's an eye contact. It's looking in his face. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, by the way, in order to say something hard to someone, you've got to love them. If you surround yourself with people in life that only say easy things to you, they don't actually love you. The people in your life that love you the most will check you the hardest. Now, you've got to do it in the right way, okay? Now, let's, you've got to do it in the right way, all right? Let's not be a critic. Let's not be, but because of your love for them, we'll check them and challenge them. You think back to your life, perhaps maybe in discipleship relationships, perhaps in church or with a pastor in the past. Somebody ever check you before? Check you on your sin? Check you on your lifestyle? Check you on a pattern of living that is going to take you to a destination that you don't want to go, and then somebody speaks up because they love you? You need those people in your life. And Jesus looking at this man, looking intently at him, it says he loved him, and he said to him, Jesus says something hard, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. No one saw this coming, especially this man. I mean, in his community, this guy was the pinnacle of good living. He was the epitome of doing it right. Everyone wanted to be like him. I mean, everyone would have seen his possessions as a blessing from God. This guy has actually been rewarded because of his faithfulness with material possessions. They would have seen this as a gift from God, but Jesus is telling him to get rid of it all. Sell your stuff and follow me. And this wasn't just metaphorical. Jesus was literally saying to get rid of his stuff and to chart out on a new life of following him. Here's what's true about Jesus. Jesus knew where this guy's heart really was. By the way, today, Jesus knows where your heart really is today. You might be able to trick the person that's sitting beside you or the person in front of you, or the person that's on the stage, but you cannot trick Jesus. Jesus sees into the depths of your heart. He knows exactly what is happening in the deepest, darkest chambers of your heart right now in this moment. Jesus sees into this man's heart. This, Jesus understands where this guy's heart really was. Jesus knew what mattered most to this man Jesus knows what matters most to you, and for this man, what mattered most to him, what his heart was wrapped around was his stuff. Jesus knew that his treasure was really in the things he possessed. I'll say it this way. 
Your heart is always tangled up in your treasure. Your heart is always tangled up in your treasure. Your, your heart, what is the heart? The heart is the center of your being. It's the, it's the, it's the home of your emotions, of your, of your being. It's, it's where you, it's in the center, in your inner being, the inner self of who you are, the heart, the truest part of you. It's always tied up. It's always tangled up in your treasure. It's inextricably tied up to your treasure. It's impossible to untangle your heart from your treasure. Your heart and your treasure are always in bed together. If, if, you're, if you're a fisherman, let's, um, for the guys in the room, can we do a fishing illustration real quick for the guys in the room? Fishing illustration real quick, all right? Um, and ladies, I didn't mean to be sexist right there. If you like to fish, this is an illustration for you as well. Amen? Sorry. Holy Spirit just checked me on that. Don't need to be sexist as a pastor. I apologize for that. All right, fishing illustration nonetheless. There are two kinds of main uh, reels that you would use fishing in a rod and reel. Um, there's, there's more than this, but the two primary kinds. One is an open face reel. Uh, these things are beautiful because you just open, open the, uh, the hinge where the spool is located, and then the line can just go freely out as much as possible. It goes, you hardly get any tangles. You can cast it as far as you want. Rarely gets any tangles because it is just going to completely open face, is what it's called, reel. Now, the other kind of reel is a bait caster. All right, now these things are miserable. These things were created by the enemy. A bait caster has a spool, but this spool um, is not completely free and open. You actually have to keep your thumb on it whenever you cast it. If you cast it and that spool is unwinding really, really, really fast and your bait hits the water and the line stops, your spool will continue to spin, which will then what fishermen call create a bird's nest. A bird's nest where there is four million lines, fishing lines that are all wrapped around your reel and you will not be able to fish for the rest of the day. It is, un it is virtually impossible to untangle a bird's nest in a bait caster because it is so tangled around and it has spent so much time, a little bit of time, but it has spun so many, so often to get so tangled together, you might as well just go home and pack it up. Literally, you have to take a knife out and start cutting line in order to get back to the original spool. It's so tangled together. Did you know that your heart and your treasure are like that? Like, you can't really separate them. You can't be like, um, you can't be like, <laughs> um, I love my wife, but I never do anything for her. But I really love her. I mean, I love her. You just don't understand the amount of love that I have for my wife. But I don't need to do anything for her. I don't need to get, buy her anything. I don't need to give her any gifts. don't need to demonstrate any kind of sacrificial love through monetary ways. Our love isn't about monetary things. Our love is about our heart. And she knows that I love her, and so I don't need to buy anything for her in order to demonstrate um, my love for her. Does that fly, ladies? Does that, that fly? No, that doesn't fly, all right? That doesn't, that doesn't fly. Because if somebody is really invested, if their heart is invested somewhere, their treasure will be invested there too. Man, I'm so, I'm like, I'm so into this, I'm so into this organization and what they're doing. I believe in what they do. I love in what they do. I am so forward. I show up and help out and I show up and, and I'm there. And I, do, do, you, do you give anything to the organization? Like, do you, like, is your treasure really there or you just like going because it makes yourself feel better? You know, you, your heart and your treasure are, are, are inseparable. They're inextricably tied together. Uh, Jesus would say in another passage, for where a man's treasure is, there his heart is also. Your heart is always tangled up in your 
treasure. Can I just ask you a question today? Um, what do you treasure? Don't say it out loud. But what do you treasure today? It's probably different than the person that's sitting beside you. Um, for some of us, it's beauty. For some of us, the way we look. For some of us, it's a career or success, which is why you can't put your phone down because you've got to answer the emails, or if it's because of your so tied up in what other people think about you, you can't put your phone down either because you're so tied up in social media. Or you, you got to make it. Some of you are still trying to prove to your dad that you matter. That's why you're working for the things that you're working for and trying to acquire what you're trying to acquire. One of the greatest questions you can ever ponder is what do you treasure? What do you treasure? If Jesus said this to you, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me, would you do it? That thing, whatever that thing was, if Jesus told you to give up your career today to come and follow him, would you do it? If Jesus told you to give up a dating relationship in order to come and follow him, would you do it? If Jesus told you to cash out your retirement and give it away and come and follow him, would you do it? Like, well, Ethan, I mean, I, I need that in order to, Ethan, I'm going to retire. Or, Ethan, I am retired. That's my only stream. That's going to be my main stream of income. I need to, you, okay, so you need that more than you need Jesus. It, it, isn't, about, it isn't about that. It isn't about the thing, y'all. It, it's, it's about following Jesus. It's about whatever it is, if Jesus told you to let go of it, would you for the sake of him? Like, is Jesus more important to you than that thing, whatever that thing is? What, what, is your, what is your treasure? What is it that you hold on to as more precious than Jesus? I'll say it this way. You can't follow Jesus until he becomes your treasure. You can be religious. You can even be like a pretty good church member. But you, you can't follow Jesus until he becomes your treasure. To follow Jesus what Jesus is trying to demonstrate to this man and what he would be trying to demonstrate to you is to follow Jesus is to abandon whatever gods you had previously and then follow him as your new God. Jesus would say it elsewhere in Matthew 13, 44. He would say this. I'll put it on the screens for you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It, nothing else mattered. He could sell all, he could get rid of all the other things in his life because he needed to possess the field because in the field had the treasure. Because he un, what Jesus is trying to get you to understand is that the kingdom of God is the treasure. It's the greatest treasure. Everything else pales in comparison. It is about the kingdom of God and everything else in your life exists for the kingdom of God and everything else pales in comparison to the kingdom of God. God. What Jesus is trying to show this man is, I'm not your treasure at the end of the day. Your treasure is something else, and until you get rid of that thing, you can't really follow me. You can't follow me. I'll say it this way, though. When you find Jesus, when you possess Jesus, this is true. When you possess Jesus, possessions are unnecessary. 
just feel like the Holy Spirit said, you don't believe that. Uh, somebody doesn't believe that. Um, when you possess Jesus, when you find him, um, then possessions are unnecessary. Uh, I'll put it this way. Here's the, here's the, here's the story of humanity. Um, the world is unbelievably broken. Um, the world is falling apart. The world is just chaos. The world is just a disaster. I mean, just, you don't even have to look far. Just look at your own life. You're like, man, the world is broken. The world is falling apart. The, I mean, just look, you don't, maybe even just last night. Yeah, the world is broken. Uh, maybe you have to look a little further than that, but the world, the world, world is falling apart. Um, and I am a part of that brokenness. And I know that the, the brokenness isn't just out there, but I know that in some way, shape, or form, even if you're not a Christian in some way, shape, or form, that brokenness is somehow inside me. There, there's something that is inside me that says something isn't right. Something isn't accurate. Something isn't in line. My compass isn't due north. Something is off. And something isn't just off with me, but something is off with the world. And something is terribly off. And every single person who has ever existed for humanity is tried to figure out what to do with that, how to correct that, how to justify that, how to make yourself feel good about that, how to overcome that, all sorts of different kinds of ways, whether it's medication, whether it's addiction, whether it's religion, whether it's achievement, whatever it is, to try to pursue that, to try to over, overcome that. Something has to happen with the brokenness. Something has to be made right. Here's the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the son of God who came to make the brokenness right, uh, to, to atone for the brokenness. Now, you're like, man, I, Jesus, I mean, okay, Ethan, this is a little bit extreme. Maybe you're, maybe you're investigating. Maybe you're not a Christian. Like, try, uh, Jesus, okay, I'm down. I can down with he was a good teacher. I'm down with maybe he lived a long time ago. But Jesus, as the son of God that resurrected, are you kidding me? That's a little bit extreme. Here's the reality. Whether it's Jesus or something else, you have to make just what is wrong. So you, you tell me, if something is, is wrong, if something is broken, if something is unjust or unjust, injustice, you have to make it just. So how do you do that? Well, I just figure I would be a better person. I just figure I would try harder. I just, but something is still wrong at the end of the day. You have to do something to correct the injustice. And God says, I'm going to correct the injustice myself. I'm the only one that can. And so Jesus, the Son of God, comes and actually lives a perfect life, lives the just life that you couldn't live, and then takes on your injustice on the cross, sacrificing himself uh, for you, paying for it, and then through faith, not of your own works, but in belief in him, trust in him, and then he comes in you and makes you like him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And until you see Jesus like that, he won't be your treasure. Here's, I've said this before, um, if so many people, so many Southerners, so many Americans, so many Christians, maybe Christians, hopefully Christians, have this idea of they just want to get to heaven. You were nine years old and someone sat in front of you and said, heaven or hell, you pick. And you're like, heaven sounds better than hell. And they're like, okay, pray a prayer about Jesus. And you're like, okay, I'll pray a prayer about Jesus because I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. That actually isn't the gospel. That, that's not the gospel. I, I could say, pray for Jimmy to come into your heart so that you can go to heaven, and many children would pray for Jimmy to come into their heart. That's not the gospel. 
the gospel is that you were broken, that you were living on your own, that you were living a rebellious life against God, being your own God. And Jesus came to exchange gods for you so that you could know him and love him and follow him so that he could atone for you. And when you believe that, when you trust that, when that becomes your new identity, you follow him. You follow him. He's the son of God. He's now your new treasure. He's now your new treasure, and everything in your life and everything in eternity has hinged on Jesus. He's now your treasure. If Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go there? What do you treasure? Let's just think theoretically. What if heaven kind of sucked? <laughs> what if it was cold and rainy and painful and there were tears and there was pain? But Jesus was there. Would you still want to go there? Or would you pick the other option without Jesus that didn't have the pain and the tears and the rain? See, you got to you got to do the hard work of asking yourself, what is your treasure? I think, I think too often we don't really know. I think too often maybe we convince ourselves otherwise. I think too often we're down with this idea of religion and moralism and not actually down with Jesus at the end of the day. I'll say it this way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the only recipe that works, y'all. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You know the people that I find in life that seem to be the happiest? Um, the people that I find in life that seem to be the happiest, the seem that have the most joy, isn't because they have everything. Maybe they do have a lot. Maybe they don't have a lot. The people in my life that I find have the most joy and the most happiness in life are the people that have found Jesus, have found him and don't need anything else in their formula in order to be happy. This man, his heart is tied up in his stuff. This man, is God is his possessions. His whole life has been engineered in such a way in order to get more stuff. He's living for the stuff. He's not living for purpose. You know, is your purpose ordered around your possessions or are your possessions ordered around your purpose? As Christians, we must live in such a way in this life where possessions don't even really affect us that much. You know, you get, I like to get new stuff. Um, I like to get new sneakers, pastoral confession. Got a new pair of sneakers for my 10-year anniversary a few weeks ago. Bought a pair of Jordan Retro 3s. They're amazing. They're awesome. Um, and I felt a certain way, you know, when I got them. Um, you know, we should have a reality in our lives as Christians. Whether we get possessions or lose possessions, it really doesn't affect us that much. Because at the end of the day, our heart isn't tied up in our stuff. It's tied up in Jesus. Here's the last verse. He says this. Story ends like this. 
Well, you can actually keep reading, but I'm going to end it right here, verse 22. Don't say amen. Verse 22. Disheartened, discouraged, defeated, sad, disheartened by the saying, he, the man, he went away sorrowful. The word means actually mourning. Sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's the reality, y'all. He walks away from Jesus. He walks away from Jesus. Jesus gives him this equation. Walk away from your stuff and have me, or walk away from me and have your stuff. And he picks his stuff over Jesus. And he's sorrowful. He's sorrowful and he's mourning because he knows that his heart is actually tied up in his stuff. He can't let go of his stuff. He realizes in this moment, money wasn't just a gift from God. It was his God. It's the issue. Jesus points out his God. Here's how you know that money is perhaps your God. Here's how you know that money is perhaps a problem for you. You can't give large amounts of it away. Only small amounts. You belabor, you belabor over how much you should give rather than how much you could give. The more you make, the lower of an overall percentage you give. The idea of losing some of what you have now makes you think you'll be unhappy. You ever feel like that? I feel like that sometimes. Gosh, what if my salary, I mean, what if my, what if my wife didn't have an income? What if my salary got cut in, in half? How could I ever... How could I ever live like that? I'm, I'm like, I've done it before. I'm like, I've done it before. Like, what's, I mean, wh- why, why am I so hung on what I have to have, what I, what I have to make? The idea of losing some of what you have now makes you think you'll, you'll be unhappy. Or this, you see others who have more than you, and you're jealous. You're not content with what you have. You must have more. Here's the reality. Jesus says to this man, and Jesus says to you today, you can't have two gods. You can't have two gods. If your God is a person, if your God is a relationship, your your, your God is some kind of experience, some kind of pleasure, some kind of status, some kind of beauty, some kind of this, some kind of that, you can't have two gods. Jesus says you have to pick. You have to pick on what is going to be your God, and then you've got to follow that and got to pursue, you've got to pursue that. You can't have two treasures. You can't have two treasures. Jesus would say in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And some of you are like, but Ethan, I want God to make me unbelievably wealthy for the kingdom of God. I'm like, okay, let's check your heart, all right, for just a quick second. Are you sure about that? Are you sure? That's, you can't, you can't have two God. You have to be 100% content with Jesus and whatever he wants to put after that. Jesus and poverty, Jesus and prosperity, Jesus and marriage, Jesus and not marriage, Jesus and fertility, Jesus and infertility, Jesus and wealth, Jesus and no wealth. Are you okay with whatever formula Jesus picks for you? If not, he's not your God. If not, he's not your God. And this man is disheartened because he isn't willing to exchange his false God for the real, true God. Here's, here's, here's it, y'all. This, this is it. Life in order. I want you to have your life in order. 
I want my life to be in order. The only way your life is ever going to be in order if Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first and everything else comes second. You can only have one God. At the end of the day, I want Jesus to be your God. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus. Because what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world yet lose his own soul? I want you to lose your soul. I was thinking, I'll close with this. I was thinking this past week, there was a passage in, I believe it's Hebrews 13, that's directed towards the church and to church leaders. And it says that you should obey your leaders and you should submit to them. And I like love that part of the verse. I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a great verse. Can we put that on t-shirts somewhere? But the other half of the verse is because they must give an, an account for they are watching over their, your soul, watching over their soul. And I'm like, let's not put that on a t-shirt. I mean, because like, are you serious? I'm watching over your, here's the reality. As a pastor, as pastors, as elders, we are watching over your soul. Like, I'm most concerned about your soul today. Like, you can, you can go get a trainer, and he can work on the physical stuff. All right, that's good. Maybe you could get a trainer. Um, I, I'm your spiritual trainer, okay? I care about your spiritual soul, your spiritual well-being, your soul at the end of the day. I'm concerned about your soul. Where is your soul today? Where is your soul is your life in order today? Is your life in order? I encourage you to love Jesus, follow him, and let's get, in, get it in order. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.